0: So how many of you like your um, bacon crisp, yeah? How many of you like your bacon soft? Many more people like their bacon crisp, isn't that amazing? Welcome to our Summer Sizzle series as we continue to look at stories and sagas from the scriptures and uh, kind of see this summer through uh, looking at some very interesting things about the kingdom of God. But before we get to that, I just want to say welcome to everybody who's here today. I see lots of people visiting and want to say a special welcome to you this morning. And it's great to have a special guest with us this morning. Our local city councilor George DeRue, asked if he could come today to share a few words with our congregation. And uh, so I want you to welcome him as he comes and he has a few words to share. So come on, George. Thank you, oh, okay. Thank you
1: Michael. And good morning, everyone. Uh, I usually, uh, I like to, uh, in the morning, always uh, nice to start the day with beautiful uh, rhythm that we heard this morning from Nathan. He's always full of... Uh, uh, give you ambitious and always give us enthusiastic. But this morning, I'm here for a reason. And the reason I asked to be in front of the congregation this morning to recognize uh, the Parkway Church as a part of our community, and not only part of our community. This morning when I came in, I was greeted at the door, and I had a flyer, and in the flyer, most of you received it this morning, it says, welcome to Parkway Church. We are all about relationship. Brothers and sister, print is cheap and talk is cheap. We heard that all the time. But here at the Parkway Church, they demonstrate that in the community, not by printing it on the paper, but also by action. Uh, in the last three and a half years, I've been serving this community, but without the support and without the Parkway Church, and other stakeholders in the community, I wouldn't be able to do my job. We have in our community around 33,000 residents, over 10,000 homes, and many, many community. as much as, much, as, much as my, most of you know. We have Greeley, Metcalf, Vernon. So in Canada Day or in any celebration, Christmas or Easter, I've got to split myself in many, in many areas to be able to show my face and uh, talk to our community. But the Parkway Church, in the last three and a half years, they were there for me. They were there for our community. They were there for not only Osgood Ward, but for the city. They are part of the city of Ottawa and demonstrate that leadership. Uh, I'm going to give a few examples. The Parkway, uh, the, we, have, we enjoy our beautiful Greeley Village. Uh, the park that I cross from the road from here. You adopted. You helped me in putting the grand opening Nathan was there to entertain our resident. Most of the volunteers were here were there to help me. Uh, And last week, we had an emergency in the city for the blood clinic. And the Parkway Church opened their door, not only for our resident, but for everyone in the city. Thank you for that. And last but not least, Canada Day was the hottest day, and it was very hot this summer. I was tasked for having a barbecue at the Greeley Community Center. And the volunteers from Parkway Church came out to help me with a big smile. It was almost over 40 degrees. Most of you know that. They, they put on the smile. They barbecued from their heart. They left their, parents, their kids, their family, and they came to serve our family in the community. Ladies and gentlemen, this is action. This is, I command you. For everything you do in our community, you really demonstrated not only relationship, a partnership. From the bottom of my heart, and our community and our residents, I'd like to present you with a plaque to hopefully you'll have a place for it on the wall. So your congregation always remember you, always about action. Thank you you very much. much. Uh, God bless you all. Thank Thank you. I also brought a small picture from our barbecue, hopefully we'll have it outside and you'll read the word on it when you leave here today and every, every week you come here. Okay. Thank you very thank much, you. I appreciate it. God okay. bless you all. God
0: bless you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Wow, thank you, George. It's a pleasure to be able to serve this community and George, anytime you need help and if there's an area that you think that we can assist in in the community, in helping others, then uh, please just give us a call. We'd be happy to uh, to serve. We want to be able to serve people in our community, let them know that Jesus loves them, that we're his hands and his feet, and that we want to share that love with other people. So thank you. So this morning, we're going to talk about um, a story, another story I really enjoy in the scriptures and find quite fascinating. It's a story that uh, is recorded in John chapter 9, and um, it's about one of the, the healing miracles of Jesus. Now, you know, I grew up in church, and I grew up in a church that was not a liturgical church, so we didn't do a lot of, like, liturgical-type worship things. And um, so we didn't do a lot of, like, readings or responsive things like that. But we had a few that, uh, that everybody seemed to know and that, uh, you know, that, that just kind of happened when people... You know, if, if someone up in the front would say, you know, uh, God is good, People would say all the time, and then the person at the front would say all the time. Yeah, see, you know it too. And uh, so we would say that all the time. God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. That was it was kind of a declaration of the goodness of God, and I believe that's true. I I learned that as a child. I believe that's true, but I think sometimes we we have uh, we have. A misunderstanding about the goodness of god I think he 's good all the time i don 't think there 's anything in God that isn 't good, and I think that sometimes we we kind of we kind of twisted it a little bit and we we have a misunderstanding about God, and I think if we look at Jesus and we look at the, 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 the revelation of Jesus Christ in, uh, in the Gospels as he's presented to us and in, the, in the, the writings of Paul and others in the New Testament, I think what we find there is that we see displayed before us the evidence that God is good all the time, that God doesn't bring harm and hurt to people, that he only brings good things to people. And that's kind of what we want to focus on today because we're going to focus on some questions that were raised by Jesus' disciples that kind of represented the uh, the, the the way people thought and I think the way a lot of people still think today about God and I don't think it's right. So in John chapter uh, 9, in verse 1, well, I'm going to read the first 12 verses for you that kind of give us the synopsis of the story and then we're going to look into some of these questions. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, Why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? It was not because of the sins of his parents, or not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the tasks assigned us by the one who sent us. The night is coming, and then no one can work. But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. Then he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. He told him, Go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed and came back seeing His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, isn't this the man who was used to sit and beg? Some said he was, and others said, no, he just looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, yes, I am that same man. They asked, who healed you? What happened? He told them, the man they called Jesus made mud and spread it over my eyes and told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and washed, and now I can see. Where is he now, they asked. I don't know, he replied. So here we have this story, a miraculous story of how a man who was born blind has his sight restored to him through the the intervention of Jesus in this moment. Now, there's some questions that are asked at the beginning of this story that I want to just talk about for a minute. First of all, the disciples asked Jesus, Is this sickness, this blindness that this man has, that he's had since birth, is this because his parents have sinned, or because he sinned? Now, they, they assumed that someone was responsible for this man's blindness, that someone had failed God, they'd sinned against God, and God inflicted blindness upon this man in order to punish them for their sin. Was it the parents? They assumed maybe it could be the parents because the the man was born blind. It was something he came into the world with. So thus, maybe it was his parents' fault. Or, they said, I guess it's possible that it's the man's sin. Though he even had the the blindness before he even was born, could it be that God in his foreknowledge... (laughs) knew that this man was going to sin, a heinous sin, and he was going to be struck blind anyway, so God just did it at the beginning. Those are the questions the disciples, Jesus' own disciples, are asking him. Now, this is kind of a common way of thinking about things, that if there's something bad that's happened to someone, they deserved it for some reason or other. That somehow they did something and this is, uh, this is recompense. This is a punishment. This is the result of their failure and God has intervened and he has punished them. This is kind of the, the mindset of people throughout history. And if you look into the Old Testament, into the ancient cultures of the time of, uh, the Old Testament, the prehistoric times, the early times, we see this kind of carrying on. And what, what, the, the, a lot of the cultures of the world did. When there were specific things, they would blame specific gods. They'd have different gods for different things. So they might have a god that would would cause people to be blind, or they might cause have a blind uh, a god that would cause flooding or famine or all kinds of things. And they would always see a direct correlation between between what was happening around them, the bad things that were happening around them, and the and the emotional state of the gods. If gods, if gods were happy, the sun was shining, the grass was growing, the crops were growing, everything was good. If bad things were happening, if it was raining, if there were if there were negative things happening, if you were sick, then God must be angry. You'll hear people say that even today. You know, when it's bad weather, well, the gods must be angry. In fact, you'll hear people in within the context of Christianity in the theological world blame God for certain things that happen. There are many people that believe just like the disciples believe, even today. I don't particularly agree with that. Now, that means that I kind, of, I kind of am with one group, and there's an other group of people that believe something different. And you're going to have to figure out what you believe about God and the character and the personality of God. And uh, you might not agree with everything I say this morning, but I'm up here, and you're down there, and you know this is my chance, right? <laughs> And, uh, but you may have some different ideas or, or follow some teaching or some, some ideologies that are a little bit different. But there are people today, there are some prominent, even prominent people in certain sectors of the church that would say every time there's a hurricane or there's a natural disaster, they would, they would, they would see, you know, when, when, when things in our recent history have happened, you know, things like uh, 9-11, uh, the Boston bombings, the Sandy Hook shootings, uh, the Asian tsunami, um, the Japanese earthquake, when sickness, accidents, or cancer, these kind of things come into the, the news. Some of these these Christians will pop up on Twitter and say, well, it's because God's angry. You know, it was very popular at the time of Hurricane Katrina to blame uh, New Orleans, the, the, the city of New Orleans, for their this was their fault. Because it's a very sinful, immoral city, and they were reaping the wrath of God on them because they had failed. And you will hear prominent people, uh, prominent uh, Christians, say those kind of things. I do not believe that. I do not because I believe God is good all the time, and that it's not within God's capability to to target people with ill and with 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 harm. And I don't believe God has to. I do believe that things that happen in our world are rooted in sin and the justice and the wrath that comes against sin. But I don't think God has to intervene. I think we do that well enough ourselves. In my personal opinion, when we look at these things, these disasters, and we look at these things that happen to us from time to time, we do live in a world that is, is, is kind of soaked in sin and its, its consequences. Paul, the apostle, says there are there are rulers, there are powers, there are principalities at work within the world that are out to destroy. Jesus himself said that the, that the devil, that the, the forces of evil, come to, to kill, to steal, to rob. There are forces out there. You see, I don't believe God needs to intervene and bring punishment against people because that's what God comes to deliver us from because there's enough of that already. And there are things that happen to us I believe when, <clears throat> when the Bible talks about, <clears throat> excuse me, the wrath of God, I think what it means is that God simply takes a posture of towards our world, towards you and I, because he gives us free will, because he allows us to make choices for how we live our lives, for the things that we do. And he hasn't done that just for you and me, but he's done that through all of history. And this is a cumulative thing because people have made choices. God just simply allows us to live with the consequences of our choices. Now, to me, that's good parenting. You know, I don't think uh, I, I don't think there's a <clears throat> a whole lot of room, or you don't need to um, be a, an overly violent or uh, a harsh parent if you're parenting children. I think it's best just to let the children learn by facing the consequences of their actions. I think that good parenting is just simply saying, You've made that choice, so this is what you live with as a consequence of your choices. And you know, sometimes when we are faced with the consequences of our choices, that's enough for us to be able to realise that we've made some mistakes and we can turn around. In a maturity, in understanding that, that our our, <clears throat> our choices have brought trouble and pain on ourselves, that in itself is punishment enough. And many of you live with the consequences of choices that you've made or people around you have made. And sometimes, you know, we we realize that this happened. You know, when we think of these natural disasters, well, scientists tell us today, and I don't know, I'm not a scientist, I don't have a PhD in anything, okay? Okay. and so I, I'm just I'm just talking here about what I kind of accumulated of knowledge over my years and my understanding. And there might be people that disagree with me, but I hear scientists today, in uh, in, in the media and other places, say that we have done damage to the Earth. That we have we have because of our our choices, our greed, our motivation for, um, uh, you know, trying to take more from the land than the, the land is able to give. Thank you so much. I'm going to have to start keeping one of these up here now because it's the second week in a couple of weeks that I've had to have water. Um, you know, the, the natural consequences of these things have caused some, some, some changes in the atmosphere around our world. They call it sometimes global warming. They say that's why our summers have gotten so hot all of a sudden. I don't know. They say it's warmer now than it was a while ago. I don't know all the details of that, but it kind of makes sense to me that, you know, God gave us the responsibility, if you look at the creation story in Genesis, we were to take care of the earth. We were to steward the earth. We were to take care of the environment. We were to take care of the the animals and the and and the plants and all the, the world. And and while we have we have we have done maybe the best we could do in our sinful ways, we have actually taken more from the earth than the earth is able to give. Is it possible that that's what we are seeing happen? Does God have to send a hurricane? Does it, does it, is this what has to happen? I don't know. But I don't believe that God is the one who's doing that. You know, <clears throat> Paul puts it this way. He says that that creation is groaning under the weight of sin in Romans chapter 8. Creation is actually groaning, anticipating the coming of Christ and the restoration of all things. You see, the work of the kingdom is to bring restoration to all things that's not to bring destruction to things. So when we look at the problems in our world, when we see the, the 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 results of sin in people's lives and in the world, it's our responsibility as people that are part of the kingdom is to do our part to make it better, to cooperate with the work of the kingdom. Now sometimes <clears throat> leaving people with their own consequences isn't isn't enough. And you know, the Bible talks Paul in particular talks about sometimes God Withdraws in order to teach some, in order to allow people to face further consequences. Sometimes God withdraws. He again, he doesn't have to create an issue. He doesn't have to create a problem. He just withdraws. It's kind of like this in a family situation. Let's say someone in your family is an alcoholic. All right, they have they they drink too much, and it's very self-destructive for them. And you have worked with this family member for a long time. You've tried to help them. You've tried to, you know, you've you've driven them to AA meetings. You've 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 uh, you know kind of admonished them and counseled them. You've tried to make it, you know, you know, kind of make them accountable. You've you've done everything you can that you think you can do in order to help this person, but this person continues on their self-destructive behavior. And in families like that, oftentimes what families have to do is they simply have to withdraw and allow that person to face the consequences, the full weight of not being helped. We call that an intervention. You know, you have to pull away and you have to say, okay, we're going to leave you on your own and we're hoping that things will get so bad that you'll want to change. Now that's a very loving action to do. That's not a wrathful, angry thing to do. That's a very loving thing to do in those kind of situations. If you work with people that are addicts, you realize that sometimes they really have to face the bottom of the consequences of their failures. And the Bible talks about the fact that sometimes God has to withdraw. He has to stand back. Paul even says that within the church, sometimes people have not been admonished or they haven't followed the admonition. You've got to kind of set them outside. You've got to put them on their own. Why? Not because you're you're punishing them, but you want them to see the error of their ways and be able to return, to repent, to come back, to come to their senses, as it were. And so we, we see that, that God isn't necessarily active in this process of bringing str- struggles. So, so, so Jesus says to these, to the disciples, neither have sinned. This is not the issue. Sin is not the issue. So Jesus goes on to say to them, but this is an opportunity for God's grace and God's intervention to come and reveal itself and for God to receive glory. Now, when I read that, and just in its, in its uh, simple words, let me just go back and read how that scripture says that. It says, It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. Now, that raises another question that, to me, causes us to, to wonder about the, the character of God. Is what Jesus is saying here is that God creates bad circumstances so that he can come in and fix them and get credit for it. So, in other words, does God come and make this man blind so that somewhere down, maybe when he's 20 or 30, however old he is, we're not told how old he is. We just know he's been blind since birth. Let's say he's 30 years old. So, for 30 years old, he's, for 30 years he's been blind, and now Jesus has introduced him, and Jesus is going to heal him, and that's the reason why he's there, so that God can get credit for his healing. So he suffers for 30 years of his life so that God... Could, does that sound like... That sounds like someone that's pretty broken. <laughs> that sounds like some kind of megalomaniac that wants all the credit for themselves. That God is up there and he's, he's kind of manipulating circumstances so that he ends up being the one that looks good. You see, I don't think Jesus was saying that. I don't think that's what Jesus was saying. I think that is, that is, that is not the, the, the way. And the reason why I don't think Jesus is saying that is because it just does not fit with the character of God. God is all about redeeming. God is all about rescuing. God is all about loving. God is love, the scripture says. Now, a loving person doesn't, you know, like, think of it, I, I always try to put it in the, in the context of family because family are the closest relationships we have, generally. Alright? They're the closest relationships we have. And, and you know, a, a good parent or a good spouse doesn't, doesn't go and, 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 and cause some chaos over in this corner of the family in order that they can fix it and get credit for it. That sounds like a very abusive kind of personality, right? So would God be that kind of person? And so I, I don't think that's what Jesus is saying at all. What I think Jesus is saying is that every Every place where sin's consequences are visible, are the place where God comes to work and to rescue and to redeem, and that's the work of that's the work of the kingdom. That's the whole purpose that Jesus is, is doing what he's what he's doing. This is the whole reason why Jesus comes. You know, um, he's come he he comes to clear up these misunderstandings about God. One of the disciples said to him one day, well, you know, we don't really know what God is like because we've never seen him. Nobody's ever seen God. And Jesus says to him, well, you've seen me, then you've seen the Father. The writer of Hebrews says that, you know, if you... You know, back in ancient times, we you saw glimpses of God in different stories and in different pictures, and you saw little bits of God, but the writer of Hebrews says, now in these times, that's New Testament times, first century times, we see exactly what God is like because we see God in Jesus. So if you want to know what God is like, then you look at Jesus. And what Jesus does is he has compassion upon people. He doesn't, he's not looking for some kind of stage for him to perform on like he's some great wonder worker. He's not looking for, for, for applause. In fact, he kind of hides from all of that what he's, he's motivated by compassion and love. That's why he reaches out to this man. That's why he reaches out to all the people he reaches out to. Because, because of his loving kindness and because of his compassion. And so Jesus kind of exemplifies for us or shows us a picture of what God is like and how God works and operates in the world. So God is out not to destroy, not to get credit for himself, but he's out to to be compassionate towards you, towards me, and towards this world. When God sees the results of A hurricane or a tornado or a a, a plague of some kind. When God sees these, these consequences happening, God doesn't say, I'll gotcha. He weeps for us the way we would weep for our child if our child was sick with cancer. He he mourns for us. He 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 empathizes with us the way Jesus empathized with people. How he had compassion on them. You know, one point in time, Jesus had compassion upon people that were mourning someone in, his, in their life that had died, and Jesus was so empathetic with what was going on that he actually wept himself. You see, Jesus, he empathizes with the pain and the suffering. And when he sees the pain, when he sees the blindness of this man, he reaches out and he heals this man in a very interesting way. I don't know what the mud means. I don't know what all that means, but Jesus did it that way. He chose to do it that way and the man could see. Well, then I want to go on in the story a little bit and ask this question. Why is it so difficult for people to accept the kindness of a loving God. Why is this so hard for people to grasp? Why do people not like this message? Because some people would would strongly disagree with what I'm telling you this morning. And people strongly disagreed with Jesus and with, with the story that this man told. So let's continue reading in verse 13. Then they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees. Because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus made the mud and healed him, the Pharisees asked the man about it. So he told them, He put the mud over my eyes, and when I washed it away, I could see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man, Jesus, is not from God, for he is working on the Sabbath. Others said, But how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was a deep division of opinion among them. Now, isn't it interesting? what a what a what a response we have here? Okay, so they take this man to the the, the the religious leaders. The Pharisees were a group of religious leaders. They didn't represent everybody, but they represented their own little way of thinking in their own group. And so they took them to the Pharisees, the re- religious leaders, and they said, "Hey, look at this man. Jesus healed this man. It's a Sabbath day today. Now that was a that was a, an infraction." Of the law, and the Pharisees were big law keepers. Alright, they loved the law and they wanted to keep every bit of the law. And so they brought this man, and they, so what they saw when they saw this man, they didn't see, they didn't rejoice in the man's recovery. They didn't value the man and his, his, the fact that now he could see, he wouldn't have to beg anymore, he could get a job, he could, he could live a life, he could actually, he could actually be free from the, the, the bondage that he was in as a, as a, as a poor beggar man that was blind. They didn't rejoice in any of that. They started saying, well, how did this, this is a Sabbath, he shouldn't do that. This man is not from God. They started passing judgment on Jesus. Instead of, instead of endorsing what this, what, or, or rejoicing in what this man had to say. So they said, this man, Jesus, is not from God, for he is working on the Sabbath. Their expectations about this situation were, were that, that, that this was wrong, that, this, that what was happening here was actually a, a, a problem. It was bad what Jesus did, and that was based on their interpretation of Scripture. You see, people can go to the Bible and they can actually, they can actually prove that, that they're right, that God is not good all the time. And that's what these people believed, that God would not heal on the Sabbath. So this man can't be from God because he healed on the Sabbath because the Sabbath day is holy and God said don't do any work on the Sabbath. So this man technically did work on the Sabbath because he mixed some, some, some spit and mud and put it on the guy's eyes. And there's no rejoicing for the man at all. They also believed that, that if Jesus was not from God, that he couldn't have done this because he was just an ordinary man then, and ordinary people couldn't do these kind of miracles. Now, it doesn't say it here, but because of this kind of thinking, because, well, he's not from God because he performed on the Sabbath, and he's an ordinary man, so he can't perform these miracles, they oftentimes credited Jesus' miracles to, to the power of, of evil, that he works under the power of Beelzebub. That's what they said, of Satan, of the, of, of the evil forces. And so these people, these people continue on, and they're not satisfied with what this answer this man gives, so they call in the man's parents. Again, parents must be responsible here. So the Pharisees again questioned the man who had been blind and demanded, what is your opinion about this man who heals you? And the, the man replied, I think he must be a prophet. The Jewish leaders still refused to believe the man had been blind and could now see, so they called in his parents. They asked them, is this your son? Was he born blind? If so, how can he now see? His parents replied, we know this is our son and that he was born blind, but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him. He's old enough to speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. That's why they said, He is old enough, ask him. So for the second time, they called in the man who had been blind and told him, God should get the glory for this because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. I don't know whether he's a sinner, the man replied, but I know this, I was blind. And now I can see. But what did he do, they asked. How did he heal you? Look, the man exclaimed. I told you once. Didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? He's getting a little sarcastic here, don't you think? Then they cursed him and said, you are his disciple, but we are the disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't know where this man comes from. Interesting dialogue, isn't it? These people are so determined that they are right that when they look at the truth that's standing in front of them, they they refuse to believe it. They refuse to believe the evidence in front of them because they want to hold on to what they themselves believe is true. They're not willing to face reality. In fact, they are actually willing to drag other people down with them. This is what you see with toxic religious leaders: the threat of of of. Um, of kicking you out, you know? Well if you don't believe like us, if you don't if you don't exactly agree with me on this, then then I can't I can't fellowship with you anymore. I can't be your brother in Christ. You need to you need to you need to go away on your own. If we can't agree on everything then then we can't have any kind of connection with one another. There's a shunning that takes place when there's disagreements. We call each other names, we call each other heretics or we you know we 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 we, we do all kinds of things because people don't agree with us but we're unwilling to look at the evidence sometimes that's in front of us and some of us religious leaders have been very guilty of actually hurting other people because we've been so so stuck in our ways of believing that even when things happen when when the evidence is so clear in front of you the man said I don't know who he is I don't know how he did it all I know is I was blind but now I see can't you see this? It's right in front of you. And you deny the truth of what's going on. They're looking for a way out. We have to be so careful that we are not so stuck in our ways that we can't rejoice with people in the goodness of God. God deserves credit for every good thing that happens in a person's life. No matter how it happens, it's good. It's God. God is good. All the time. All the time. God is good. In Acts chapter 7, verse 51, Stephen says these words. Stephen's, Stephen is about to be stoned. He's preaching a message to the Jewish people and they don't like his message. They killed Jesus. Now they're going to kill Stephen, not this Stephen over here. All right? Stephen in the Bible, okay? And they're going to they're stone Stephen because he's declaring the good things of God, that God is good, that they, God sent Jesus, that Jesus died, that Jesus rose again, that God has a wonderful plan for people's lives and that we can turn our life over to him and we can believe in him Jesus is preaching Stephen is preaching the good news and the religious leaders don't like it so what are they going to do they're going to stone him and Stephen says this he says you stubborn people you are heathen at heart and deaf to the truth must you forever resist the Holy Spirit Sometimes we get so stuck in our ways. We get so stuck in the way we believe and the way we think that even when God is at work around us, we refuse to acknowledge it. We we resist the work of the Holy Spirit because we want things to be so much our way. And we fail to be open to what God is doing. They're, we're unbelieving. We're stiff-necked. We're stubborn. We're unwilling to change. You know, it amazes me. I was I was raised in a Pentecostal church and this is a Pentecostal church, you know, and the Pentecostals were kind of kooky. Different, right? Back in the last century... Um you know that this this whole thing started to happen in in in, in the world where people began to speak in tongues. That so the Holy Spirit was poured out in different places in California, in uh, in, um, in in Kansas, in Winnipeg, in the Ottawa Valley. These were the places where actually this this revival of the Holy Spirit started in North America, and people this this kind of spread like wildfire. You know, and this was happening, and people didn't understand it. People didn't get it. And they, they, so, you know, people in, in, you know, religious leaders would sit back and they'd say, well, we don't believe this is of God. We don't believe God's doing this. this and they credited the, this revival, this work of the Holy Spirit, they credited it to demons. They said these people are demon possessed. And they threw them out of their churches. So they started to form their own churches, and that's where the Pentecostal churches came from. And our own church has its roots in that similar kind of thing where, where a group of people that received the Holy Spirit said, we've got to start our own church. And so 102 years ago, they started this church in the village of Edwards, not far away from here. It started out of a revival of, of the Holy Spirit working. But you know, you know, even after 100 years of this going on, more than 100 years now of this going on, and the fact that that this this, this This style of the work of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to just call it a style of the work of the Holy Spirit. Of the, of the outflowing of the Holy Spirit in different manifestations and things. Even though that is the, the fastest growing part of the church today. Not necessarily in North America, but if you go around the world and you see where, where people are coming to Jesus, they come to Jesus and they, they have this experience. It's, it's just, it's just like a, it's a movement. Let's call it that. Even with that, there are still people that will get up today. And, and they have television ministries. They have, they have, they have, they have seminaries. They have Bible colleges. They, have, they write books. And they'll say, no, they'll call it strange fire or something like that. And they'll say it's of the devil. But they're so stuck in the way they see things and the way they believe things and the way they interpret scripture that they say, I can't believe that that's God working. Even though, look at all the good fruit. Look at all the good for... Yeah, there was some quackiness. We need to forget that part. But we can understand that God is at work and God is still at work and He's working His way. And while we don't understand it all, God is good all the time. That's the, that's the thing that... under. If it's good, God's in it. If it's, if, if, it's, if it's bringing hope and help to people, God's in it. You see, James agrees with that. James, the author in the Scripture the book of James, he agrees with me. So maybe a lot of other people wouldn't agree with me, but James agrees. Well, actually, I agree with James. I didn't, I didn't think this up on myself, on my own. But one of the scriptures that I grabbed onto a long time ago that I that is kind of an anchor scripture in my belief about God is James chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift from God. It's a gift coming down to us from our God, the Father, who created all the lights in the heavens and he never changes or casts a shifting shadow. James simply declares that God is good all the time. And if you see good, if you see the goodness of God, if you see see good things happening, you can credit God for it. Someone said to me recently, a while back, you know, they were telling me about this car they got and how they were praying, you know, they needed a car and they only had so much money and, and, uh, and, um, and so they said, "I, you know, I found this car. It just kind of fell in my lap. God gave me this car. Well, can you prove it? I didn't say that. But those are the kind of things we look at and we see, we see, we see these good things happen in our life. We say... God's behind this. Now, I don't know that God actually manipulated all those things. I don't know that He does those things. I, you know, for me or for anybody else, but I can give praise to God for every good thing that happens to me because if it's good, it came from God. If it's bad, it didn't come from God. That's a very simplistic way of thinking, but that's the way I think. And that's the way I believe it. We're going to receive communion in just a few moments. And, uh, so.